Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we were created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve. Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And if you cannot remember all of that, we speak communally. We live we love, we serve. Before I go to the scripture, family, I, 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 would, I would not be true to the calling that God has placed on my life if I did not make commentary about what we witnessed this past week. This season has been a season where we have used the word unprecedented more times than we could ever imagine. We dealt with the pandemic and are still dealing with it. And we are still dealing with the absurdity of the administration of this current president. What we dealt with this week is something that in our lifetimes, just like COVID-19, a global pandemic we've never seen in our lifetime, what we saw here in this country this week but something we have not seen. A sitting president incite an insurrection against this democracy. A seditious act committed by the leader of the free world inciting rioting. A literal attack upon the symbol of democracy, the capital, not protesters, but rioters who broke in violently to the Capitol. There were people who were injured. Members of the House and the Senate had to run for protection. The Capitol Police found themselves fighting off rioters. All of this incited by the president, who has been many things during his presidency. Many things we've discovered. There's been a maniacal nature to his tenure. He's bigoted, racist, misogynistic, homophobic, you call the role. But now something else has been added. One who has incited an insurrection in this country where there were persons inspired by the words, steeped in falsehoods by the president to mount an attack against the democracy of this country. It was absurdity of the highest order. Just when we thought we had seen some of the worst things, heard some of the most insane words from the leader of the free world, what happened this week, what happened this week, again, using that word, was unprecedented. Many people said that we had not seen people in the thousands seek to take siege 
of the Capitol since the War of 1812. That's how unprecedented the moment was this week. That we have stooped to a new low globally. There are people around the world who looked at us this week and asked yet again, what is going on in America? But then there was something else taking place. In the midst of the shock and disbelief, there were many who questioned not the actions and words of the president, but who questioned the response. And I have to be honest, and I think we all have been saying this, many of us, had that been Native Americans, African Americans, Muslims, people of color, well, we don't have to look far for what would have happened. We saw it this summer, this summer of, this past summer of unrest, even in D.C., city on lockdown, troops and police everywhere. I got a call from a friend of mine when this was happening who was angry, angry, not because of what was happening at the Capitol, but angry because the commentary in his mind would have sounded different had it been black people storming the Capitol. Instead of talking about the insanity of the act, he said we've been counting body bags on the steps of the Capitol. We know this history in this country. What was absurd about what took place this week was that there wasn't faster action, that more wasn't done before, because we've seen what can be done when people are protesting social injustice and racial injustice and outrage. This past summer gave us a glimpse across the globe of people who are outraged about the racial violence in this country, police brutality and the like. And those protesters were met with violence at times from law enforcement. But this week, people were able to get inside the Senate chambers, take selfies and pictures. Those were different people. I am absolutely convinced the outcome would have been different. In a word, what we saw this week was grotesque. It was an act of sedition. It was an act of insurrection. It was an assault against the democracy of this country but it was also a demonstration in front of the world for those who may have been confused about this. It was a direct act of what white privilege looks like. That is the truth. That is the hard and bitter truth of this country we live in, a country filled with paradox and absurdity. But it is one that we must strive to see be better and do better. But if this country is going to do better and be better, we have to be honest about who we are and what this country is. My hope and prayer is that in the weeks and months to come with this new administration, and let's be clear, I have no hopes that this new president and vice president will somehow serve as messianic figures and save us. But my hope and prayer is that we can begin a different kind of journey to create 
hopefully something more humane than the dehumanizing leadership that we've seen these past four years. That is all of our great hope. That is our great hope. Well, I want to turn today to a scripture that I think can speak in some ways. We have been and will be this month, January, in the series, I Am Resilient. And as I said on last week, each week, the sermon's titles will be Resilient in the Face of. On last Sunday, we spoke about resilient in the face of self-confrontation, making clear that one of the things that took place in 2020, among the myriad of things that happened because of the pandemic, was that for many of us, the pandemic forced us to look at ourselves. Many of us even cringed at what we saw. And as I said on last week, some of us, was, some of us were fearful to see ourselves. And because we did not want to see the truth of who we are, we fell back into the illusions we've been living with. And then there have been other, others of us who were confronted with our harsh reality of who we are. And we didn't try to become perfect, but we began a journey, a journey towards wholeness and healing and to be better human beings. For some, we collapsed back into the illusion, and for others, we sought wholeness, healing, and restoration. Today, I want to look at something a little different. I want to draw your attention to the book of Genesis. <clears throat> Genesis 2, verses 19 and a portion of verse 20. I'll read it from the New Revised Standard Version and then from the Message Bible. Genesis 2, verses 19 and a portion of verse 20. And here are the words written. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. I'll stop there. In the Message Bible, here's how it reads. So God formed from the dirt of the ground all the animals of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. The man named the cattle, named the birds of the air, and named the wild animals. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you and we honor you on today. and We are grateful that you continue, O oh God, to be mindful of us. What we know, O oh God, is that no matter how life unfolds before us, that each of us are endowed with an indomitable strength, power, courage, 
resiliency. God, we are not perfect, but we know that we are your creation. Continue, O oh God, to show us the way where we can learn to honor the dignity of one another and in some way in and through our living become a glimpse of the kingdom of God. We love you, Lord. We honor you, God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let me read that passage again. I'll just read it in the New Revised Standard Version. Genesis 2, 19 through a portion of verse 20. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every animal of the field. I'll pause. I want today to speak from the subject, resilient in the face of absurdity. Resilient in the face of absurdity. Over the centuries, there have been countless philosophers who've tried in some way to make sense of what has been called the greatest philosophical question and dilemma at the same time. That question, that dilemma is, what is the meaning of life? It is a question that drives so many of us. It's the question that hovers over so many of our ambitions, our desire for purpose, our desire to understand ourselves and the world better can be all connected to that pressing and perennial question, what is the meaning of life? There is a line of thought in philosophy known as absurdism. One of its greatest proponents was a writer, a French writer, by the name of Albert Camus. I'll come back to him in a minute, but as a philosophical inquiry, there were many philosophers over the centuries who said that life itself, the universe itself, has no inherent meaning. That in the face of our questions, that the universe remains silent. That the absurdity the paradox arises, the absurdity arises when humanity's desire for meaning is met by the silence of the universe. We groan for meaning, we thirst for it, because in a word, we have a hard time not knowing. Something within us desires to know. Something within us must be able to have answers. Something within us wants questions resolved, no matter how confounding or perplexing those questions may be. Well, the real truth is the reason why we thirst for meaning, we want answers, we want solutions, we want to find out how these things are manifesting themselves is for this simple reason. 
It is because we can't handle the mystery of life. It is the mystery of life. Knowing that there may be things that we'll never get an answer to, knowing that there may be realities that we'll never find a resolution to, knowing that we may have to live in certain parts of our existence, not having all the answers, not being aware of all the solutions that may be viable. And it is the mystery of life that confounds us. And if the mystery of life confounds us, then surely the mystery of God is even more confounding. And what do we do? In our desire to ascertain, to grasp, to hold on to what we believe is God, we begin to create meaning. We begin to define that which is infinite, to define that which is mysterious, to define that which is beyond the scope of definition. And we somehow believe that our capacity to name God, define God, to somehow understand God, even if it's through scripture, that in doing so, somehow we have a firm grip on how God is and who God is and why God is. But in many ways, that desire to name, identify, grasp, hold, control is a symbol of our own arrogance. Because we can't handle not knowing. We have a hard time looking at reality around us and not knowing why. We have a hard time seeing the world around us and not understanding why. So the many early philosophers who tackled this question, they came to a point and said, life has no inherent meaning. And if life has no inherent meaning, then at the end of the day, what is the point and purpose of even living? Many of those philosophers said things like, well, if life has no inherent meaning, some philosophers said, then suicide becomes the smartest thing to do in a world that has no meaning and no purpose, then why stay here? And others said something different. Albert Camus said, yes, human beings must know, and yes, there's silence in the universe where we would want answers, yes, But our task then, if those two realities are true, Camus said our task is to make meaning in life, that we create meaning by how we live, that in the face of what we may deem as absurd, we do not surrender to the absurdity, but we delve deeper into who we are and out of the investigation of who we are we begin to make meaning. I know for some this may be problematic because we often find ourselves in these kind of dysfunctional, dependent relationships upon God. We want God to do everything. Oh, I know that some people may have a problem with what I'm saying now. We want God to do everything. We go to God wanting God to do this and do that and answer this and answer that. God, I need this, so do this. And we base our allegiance to God. Some of us base our allegiance to God on whether or not God performs. We base our faith and our belief on whether or not God performs. And in some of us, when God does not perform the way we think God ought to, or answer the question the way we think God should, or resolve the conflict the way we think God should, our faith begins to fade and wane because God did not do what we wanted God to do, as if God was obligated to capitulate to our desires. 
And for many of us, our faith is that fragile. If God doesn't answer, if God doesn't perform, if God doesn't prevent, if God doesn't stop, and those questions abounded during 2020, in the face of that pandemic that we still face, those questions were there. There were people in 2020, I know, who lost faith, who stopped believing. I know, I heard from them. I talked to some of them. They lost faith, stopped believing because they could not understand if God is gracious and God is good, why won't God stop the death, decay, and die? Why won't God put a halt to this? Because the way we've been, we've been socialized into the faith is to believe that God will do everything. All you must do is ask and have faith and believe and be a good Christian, whatever that means. That God will do it. And if God does not do it, then somehow the issue is not really with God. It's with us. Some folks will say things like, you're not prayed up enough. Maybe you need to fast. Get on your faith. Seek God. But we do these things, we engage in these practices, we perform these ceremonies. At the end of the day, if we're honest, believing that all of the things we do can cause God to work on our behalf, can make God move on our behalf. Tell the truth, we do these things at times, engage in these rituals, engage in these ceremonies, engage in the performative aspect of Christianity, believing that the performance on our part will give birth to performance on God's part. We perform so that God would perform. We act so that God would act. We pray so that God would answer. We fast so that God would answer. But what if God doesn't do everything? Oh, I know that there's some this morning who might have just heard that and cringed a little bit who may be listening right now say, wait a minute, I need to see where pastor's going with this. What if our expectation for God to do everything is wrong? What if we've made a mistake? We said things like, I'm not going to move until God shows me. What if God has no desire to show? I'm not going to make a decision until I get revelation from God. What if God has no desire to reveal? Oh, I know this is problematic for some people watching this morning, but trust me, I'm going somewhere. I can say unequivocally, without doubt, that God is not a micromanager. I can say that unequivocally this morning. God is not invested in micromanaging. It is we who need God to be a micromanager because we're fearful of the freedom that God has given us. It is we who need God to perform because we're fearful of making mistakes. I heard a guru say this week that committed people never fail. That when you're committed, even what you perceive as failure, you're always learning. You're always growing. The only time there's failure if you're not committed to learning and growing. But we are fearful to make mistakes. We're fearful to fall. And so we now spiritualize our fear and then say, I won't move until God says so. Well, I'm going somewhere with this. God is 
the creator of all. That our first introduction in scripture to God is not God who fights battles, not the God who heals, not the God who delivers. Our introduction in Genesis is to the God who creates. That God's first move is an act of creation. And God creates out of what? Out of the darkness. And nothing covered but darkness and void. And the Spirit of God hovered over the void and the darkness. And as God moved across the darkness, those primordial words, let there be. Let there be. That means according to the scriptures, for those who take the scriptures literally, the first words of God were not thou shalt not. The first words from God were let there be. A word of permissiveness. But then God creates. Oh, I hope you can hear this this morning. According to that same story, there is one thing that God did not create, and that was the darkness. Because out of the darkness, God said, let there be light. And God began to create everything that God created in the dark and out of the dark. I'm going to come back to that in a second. But we're introduced to God as creator. But we're not introduced to God as controller. I hope you can hear that today. Because God, the creator, is different than God, the controller. Many of us in our feeble understanding of who we are desire God to be controller. Those of us who do not want responsibility for our lives want God to be controller. But we're not introduced to God who controls. We're introduced to God who creates. And now let me tell you who else we're introduced to. Not only a God who's creative and not controlling, but we're introduced to a God who's secure in God's self. How do you know that? It's there in the opening chapters. See, insecure people must control. Insecure people spend their time telling you who they are. Insecure people define themselves by the things they possess and what they have. Can you imagine if God ever bragged what that would look like? If God took the time to boast and brag, it would shut everything that we could ever say down. Whatever you create, tell me it compares to sun, moon, and stars. Tell me it compares to rivers, oceans, and mountains. We're introduced to a God who creates and a God who's not insecure. How do I know? Watch what the creative, secure God does. It's right there in the passage I read this morning. God created everything and then looks to one of God's creations to then give identity to what God has created. God comes to Adam and says, I made it. You name it. I made it. Give it identity and texture and shape. You name it. I did my part. That which did not exist before I spoke came into being. 
Now do your part. What is Adam's part? Make meaning of what I've given. You mean to tell me that when we seek to make meaning, we we become co-creators with God? Oh, I know there's some of us who don't want to hear that this morning. But I need you to hear that. You and I, made in the likeness and image of God, imagine that God has a divine expectation that we co-create, that we give meaning. But in doing so, when God gives Adam the responsibility of naming, he doesn't say this, but I know this on some levels. Because I gave you permission to name does not mean I gave you permission to destroy. I did not give you permission to destroy. I gave you responsibility of stewardship over what was created. But look what we've done. Instead of co-create, we opted to be singular destructors. We, human beings, are guilty of the greatest atrocities seen on this planet. We, human beings, have used our ingenuity to destroy. We, human beings, have used our lives to hate. We, human beings, have taken our breath that is a gift from God to destroy people with our words. We, human beings, who from the story in Genesis were invited to co-create, we have been responsible for some of the greatest destruction that mankind, humankind has ever seen. We, and it makes no sense, we who are given this beautiful responsibility to be stewards of all that God created. And I want you to hear all that God created includes us human beings, that we were given responsibility to be stewards over with one another, to take care of one another, to see the best for one another. But we, because we could not handle not knowing, started making meaning, yes, but making meaning that became destructive to other people. Why am I saying this this morning? Because absurdity abounds in this world. It is absurd, nonsensical, and troubling. We think about the landscape of this. Well, let's not make it so broad. But our country. We've used ingenuity and intellect to distance ourselves from one another. We've used ingenuity and our intellect to destroy other people. It is absurd. This country has practiced absurd, nonsensical behavior from its founding. Absurd. It is absurd to tell one human being that you are inferior to me because you are a different color. Absurd. It is absurd to tell people who have breath in them, who are life-giving creatures, that there's more value 
to things that have no breath, have no life, inanimate, material, have more value than you. That's absurd. We have made people believe in this moment that there are things that have more value and who they are and their humanity is of no value. That is absurd. We have told people in the world's wealthiest, supposedly, country that it's okay that you do not have food to eat at night. It's okay you don't have a place to sleep at night. It's okay that you're homeless and hungry. It's okay that you don't have health care to tend to the basic needs of your life. That that is okay. That is absurd. That is absurdity of the highest order. It is okay to tell people that because who you are is different from who I am, I am justified in hating you, beating you, being punitive with you. That is absurd. It is absurd to tell people, if you're not of this elite class, if you're not of this social strata, then you have no value, that then we have a right and responsibility to take from those who are quote-unquote on the bottom to make those who are on the top wealthier, more important, and more valuable. That is absurd. It is absurd that in this world right now, there are 26 human beings who have more economic power than China, India, and Africa combined. That is absurd. Then in a world with all this wealth, that there are people hungry, Children dying, dying because they can't get antibiotics. Families suffering, watching a loved one die because they can't afford the medication. That is absurd and absurdity of the highest order. That we have become a country fixated on finding nuanced ways to watch people die and suffer. That is absurd. That in of itself would make you wonder, is there any meaning to all of this? I could go on and on. The absurdity that because you are of a different gender, you don't have value. The absurdity because, because your makeup of your humanity is different from mine, that gives me a right to beat, bash, destroy. Absurdity. It's absurd to measure people by their economic wealth and not by the size of their heart. That's absurd. All of it. We are living in a culture shaped by absurdity and we've justified it. No wonder this past week we saw more absurdity because absurdity seems to be the order of the day in a country built on absurdity, founded on absurdity. Why? The foundations of this country were shaped by a belief and a myth of racial superiority. That is absurd. That still carries out to this day. In the midst of this absurdity, like the philosophers of old, they would say, well, it makes sense not even to live. No. No. I take a different approach this morning. How do you remain Resilient in the midst of absurdity. You do what Adam had to do. You make meaning out of your life. And not meaning that takes life or destroys life, but meaning that gives life. You understand the inherent value of who you are, so you do not have to go chasing false validators for reality that is an illusion. You begin to believe in who God made you to be. And you know that from the very beginning, the moment you took your first breath, there was value and worth in who you are. And out of the value and worth of who you are, you make meaning that enhances life. 
You assault the insanity with acts of love and righteousness. And be clear, I speak not now of being religious because we've seen what religion can do as well. I speak now of being a human and a human who honors the divinity and the dignity of your own humanity. You must use the freedom that God gave you to leave this world better than how you found it. You must make sure that when you take your last breath in this life, you can say with confidence that I did my part to make this place better. You don't make meaning by destroying people. And you don't make meaning by judging people by shallow markers. You make meaning by making life better. You become so free in your existence as a human being that your freedom becomes offensive to people who rather walk around with shackles. That same philosopher, Albert Camus, said this. He said, the only way to deal with an unfree world, oh, is to become so absolutely free that your very existence is an act of rebellion. Well, I'm going to say that again. The only way to deal with an unfree world is to become so absolutely free that your very existence is an act of rebellion. Camus also goes on to say that you will never be happy if you continue to search for what happiness consists of. You will never live if you are looking for the meaning of life. If you're busy looking for the meaning of life, you're not living it. Because the meaning of life, and here's a secret in case you didn't know, the meaning or purpose, as we like to say, of life is life itself to live to live. How do you face the absurdity that we see ourselves confronted with all the time? To not allow yourself to be destroyed or diminished by the absurdity. To live so free that your very existence is an act of rebellion. To be so in tune with God and who you are, then in that freedom, you don't feel a desire to tear another human being down. You are so free and comfortable in your own skin and in your humanity, you don't feel the need to construct institutions that oppress other human beings. That you are so free and bound by the freedom that God has given to name, take care of, responsible for, that you don't find yourself overtaken by desire to be anything else but you. If you're going to be resilient in the face of the absurd, you make meaning that emerges out of the essence of who you are. You don't walk around trying to find the meaning of life. You live in the face of absurdity. You declare in your spirit 
that no matter what I face, I will not surrender to this thing. Even in the midst of the insanity we watched this week, this will not define me. And I will not let my days be shaped by how I let my anger fuel me. I rise above it. I rise above it. Because I have to tell you, beloved, if we're made in the image and likeness of God, that means that ultimately, in our very being, we strive to be transcendent. To transcend any label, any definition, and seeks to dishonor who I am, who you are. Camus gave a great idea. We build meaning out of our lives. That we don't define the meaning of life. We live in such a way that we become embodied definitions of what it means to live. And guess what? God has an expectation that we participate in this kind of creative work. Name, give shape, identify, but not demean, destroy, dehumanize, or undermine. You are resilient. And some of us in this country, some of us in this country know what it is to live and thrive in the midst of absurdity. Talk to some of my Native American brothers and sisters and they'll tell you how to do it. Talk to my African-American brothers and sisters, they'll tell you how to survive. Talk to all the people who've entered this country and who've been a part of this country with the title of oppressed over their heads. And they'll tell you how not to give up in the face of absurdity, but still find a reason to wake up every morning, take a deep breath, and actually be in love with life. Resilient is who you are. But you have to be resilient in the face of the absurd. Come on, lean in, family. Let's pray. God, we thank you today. We thank you, oh God, because there's so many things that we have encountered in this country alone from its very founding even until now that assault that which is rational, that is steeped in absurdity. God, help us not to surrender to the absurd, not to let that which is absurd define us or shape who we are, but to transcend it, to go higher, to elevate our consciousness and our humanity. Because, oh God, if those who commit the absurd acts and if those who dwell in absurdity define the nature of our actions, that means the absurdity wins the day. So God, thank you today for reminding us that we can create meaning that is connected to life and love. We thank you, God. We honor you, Lord. 
And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.